1: Blog Talk Radio.
0: Real sports
1: guy. You're right now. It's the renegade. People's Radio It's all a in your headphones Allow me to introduce
2: The illustrious
1: Sweet man Mark
2: is the game changer The seventh Jackson the will The ill Executive He's like He's like Shoes nice without the anger management issues. Bill T, the sports, P-A-C. This dude is coming like at from all angles. He's got, he's got all the covers. covered. Uh, there's not a whole lot about sports brother don't know.
1: Can you dig it, dig it sucker? Featuring... Pace.
2: Justice Pay,
1: Eric Hamill, RZ fam is like, woo. Now I I blame it on Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: definitely a gin party around here definitely a gin party. Don't bring any
0: Kool-Aid. You don't get no better than this, baby. I want winners. You guys act
1: like this. Pick it up a little bit. Okay? Get your chin up. Smile. Smile. Anybody can be beat
2: Don't get no more real Welcome to the Real Sports Guys, where Real Guys Talk Real Sports, RSG, Renegade Radio. I am your host, Marcus Game Changer, and one-third of the illustrious Street Man booth. But before we get into the proceedings this evening, allow me to say you could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with us, and we appreciate your patronage. Uh, another edition of Real Sports Guys brought to you by Resistance Digital Solutions On the rocks, Rocker, Illinois Frederick Accounting and Excel Academics Tonight, all guests and hosts appear via the purchase Accounting Gateway Purchase Accounting is the official accountant of the Real Sports Guys Make sure you hit them up and tell them the Real Sports Guys sent you Now, let's get down to business Tonight, we're running with the two-man booth We're going to run the two-man game on you I got my man D. Wills in the house How at the people
0: What's up, man? Feeling good? You know, uh, fantasy football is off and running. You know, I'm doing my thing. You know, this is the beginning of the sports season for us. You know, this is our sports year. This our sports calendar kicks off right now. So we hit it hard until early summer. You know, take our little break and come back in. So I'm excited, ready to go. I know there's a lot to talk about tonight.
2: Absolutely. The off season is officially over. The real sports guys are back in full effect. We're trying to hit uh we're trying to get a mid season form right out the gate. Uh so let's give it to them, man. You're listening to the People's Radio, the real sports guy, R S G, the renegades of Internet Sports Radio, and we are back. Uh, ready to kick this off with the uh, sports with our sports calendar, the NFL season is going, college football is going, the NBA is right around the corner. That means it's R S G season, baby. So with no further ado, Let's get into the portion of the show we call the intro to let them know. This is where we give you a quick rundown of all the things that we have in store for you all this evening on tonight's show. Make sure you go to realsportsguys.com and download the podcast. Again, tonight, we're going to get into our top three from the week. Uh, That's where we go through the top three things, and it can be, we can go all over the board on this. We're giving the Real Sports Guys license to come at anything, anywhere, uh, whether it be you know, music, entertainment, sports, politics. We can go all across the board in the top three of the week. uh, We just lay it out there and three things that caught our attention during the week that we were locked into or tuned into. All right. Then we're going to hit you with an addition of five on the black hand side. Uh, We're going to go NFL week one stories. We're going to break down five stories from from the NFL's first week that have piqued our interest, uh, then we're going to keep talking football, um, breaking down some of the week one action, revisiting our uh, our, our uh, predictions that we made a couple weeks ago, um, defending some of our predictions, and setting up kind of how we're going to go about predicting uh, the NFL weekly challenges. And then we'll talk a little fantasy football, break down how our teams fared, um, and, and give you some insight on from, from the fantasy football perspective of what the real sports guys are seeing going on in the mo- many uh, fantasy football leagues that we are participating in this season. So with no further ado, D-Wills, how you doing, man? How you been? It's been a second since I've been on. You and Filthy held it down last week. Uh, it's the amazing show. I had a chance to listen to the podcast. Why don't you tell the folks who didn't get a chance to check out that podcast uh what went down on last week's episode of the real sports guy.
0: Well, you know, that was one of the things that I wanted to say. It was it was great to have uh Jimmy Grant and uh Sean Misgivens on the show last week, uh I mean on our last podcast and um uh they were the uh, they are the uh, authors of uh deprived, the lost uh nineteen eighty two NFL season. Um it, it was an incredible conversation. Uh, you know two two great guys that you know, you could possibly see, you know, subbing in here on the platform. They both know a lot about sports. Uh, but it was just a great conversation about, you know, the uh, strike uh, in 1982. Uh, because a lot of people remember the strike with the scabs and uh, the people across the picket line. Uh, but, you know, they actually – there were actually more games lost in 1982. And, you know, and, and the way in which they described in their book um, – you know, what the season would have – how it would have finished if they played a full season. And, you know, it kind of took you back to another time. And I love, you know, both of my historians. You know, so a lot of the players that we just revere in terms of when we talk about all time, like, you know, Joe Montana, you know, when you start to put it in a historical context of 1982, these were people that we were uncertain about. You know, they were the, the Mariotas of the world, or the, the the Winstons of the world, or, you know, they, they weren't sure bets. Um As we know them now, and so it was just a great conversation. Uh, If you have a chance to check it out, you know we're on iTunes, as you can get us on iTunes. But also go to Realsportsguys.com. You can also hit us up on Blog Talk Radio, uh, looking for the Real Sports Guys there, and um, um, uh, check out the the podcast. But some great stuff. And uh, Jimmy, you know, I love Jimmy's quarterback rating, and we, we're obviously going to try and get him back on mid season and, you know, put his uh, rating to test uh, so we can, uh, we can learn more about it. But it was just a, a good show. Man, we missed you. I, I know you would have been all up in it um, and, and would have shared a lot of your stuff, but uh, you had to do what you had to do. Uh, you know, I know the whole college thing was great. I know you're emotional uh, right now, but uh, it's good to have you back in that point guard seat.
2: Well, I'm glad to be back and yeah it was a it was a good it was a good experience man. It took me back it really did you know so many feelings you get hit with so many feelings when you step back on a college campus you know, small liberal Arts school in saint Paul Minneapolis my daughter's going up to hamlin university um and you know last week when the guys were holding it down on air, I was dropping her off and sending my baby off to to college um so it was a lot of you know i I wasn't necessarily sad, um, you know, but I was appreciative of the moment. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I was appreciating the moment for sure. Um, and it, it brought back a lot of reflection, you know, being that for me, it wasn't that long ago where I was stepping on a college campus, I mean, 15 years ago, and I still remember that first day like it was yesterday, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, all those feelings of kind of being on your own, um, having this little world that was now going to be yours to kind of shape and mold, um, you know, being able to kind of plan your own day and kind of stepping away from from all of the things that you know your parents kind of set the table for you for a long time, and now you get to set the table for yourself. So you know, I, I'm I'm excited for her for the opportunity to kind of grow and stretch her legs and, and have that uh, that experience. Um, that I remember, I, I I remember those years. I grew up a lot. I met you. I met. PhD. I met so many other people who who have had a, a major influence on me. And so those are the things that I thought about. You know, I wasn't necessarily thinking about all my babies moving out, but you know, I was more thinking about my babies at a as a transitional point, a very pivotal point. Um and this experience is gonna shape the rest of her life. Um and that's a beautiful thing and that's a wonderful thing. And so I was excited about that. Um you know, excited that let her kind of begin to grow and I'm excited to see, you know, as she Changes and evolves over the next four years. I'm excited to see kind of who she becomes and who she decides to become. Um, you know, and that's what that experience is all about. And you, I know you working on the college campus, you're well aware of that. And you know, I've worked okay. on the college campus, so I appreciate the whole experience and I get the totality of of what can happen on a college campus. And I hope she takes full advantage of all those things. You know, she's gonna play a little ball. She's gonna play basketball, run some track. Okay. You know. And and she's gonna go to class. <laughs> yeah, you know, that that's my big my deal breaker right there. That's where I will, you know, jump on I ninety four and be up in, in the cities if some grades ain't looking right. <laughs> everything else you figure out, everything else you gotta figure out on your own. But your your grades better be on point because that's what you're there for. You know, so yeah, man, I'm excited. I'm excited, man. A lot a lot going on, you know, a lot going on in the world. So Let's jump into this top three, man. Um, you got your top three for the week. I'm,
0: I'm, I'm starting a little bit because you know I'm working on this PhD, but I do have. Well, my my top three are a little bit uh, different. Well,
2: so and you can go anywhere with top three, right? Top three. I, I know. To so us a I, I'll to kind do of this. Our yeah, I, I'll,
0: I'll I'll do this. So my top three for the week one. This is a sports one, which I'll probably hit later on, is Serena losing. I mean, it was like Buster Douglas going down. I mean I was just like, I'm not gonna watch this, i watch her in the finals and you know. And Roberta, which it Vinci or whatever, is, is, Yeah, Vinci. Uh, I'm looking at my yeah. my yeah, I'm looking at my phone and, and, and looking at the video and she got the little arm movement going and Serena just looked shocked. <laughs> and I was like, Wow I mean that kinda of threw me off uh on a whole bunch of uh, uh other stuff. The other big story is uh coach with Malcolvane, which is uh in his kinda of outburst, the Florida coach, um, and his outburst on the sidelines. And so I heard all these people talking about it. It's been discussions on on all the sports radio shows, and then I kind of go and look at the video, and I'm like, wow, he just looked like any other coach that I've ever known. (laughs) You know, the kid did something he wasn't supposed to do, and he went in. You know, like any other coach, and I I was just thinking to myself, wow, you know, we've got to the point where, you know, I know things that you and I grew up on and the way in which the interactions on the sidelines you know, I'm just thinking, you know, God bless his soul, but Chuck Lori, you know, if they had cameras back then when he was on the sideline and I was part of high school, he would be on front page every day. And so
1: right. you know, just right. this
0: idea of you know, this interaction in the 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 the, the playing field, you know, versus some of these behaviors that are outside the playing field and you know, kinda of, that used to be a sacred space around competition that is now part of everybody's view. And now that you have a view of it, you know, and you don't like what you see, it's like it's all new. You no know, it's you know, for people who play sports it's always been that way. But that doesn't mean he doesn't young love that young man anymore or whatever. He he wants him, he wants him to be the best he could be. You know, he probably set a standard for what he wanted. So, you know, just this idea of 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 you know having us have this kind of close up look of what actually happens, and then people being involved. Right. You know, so th- right. that part was, that- it was it was kind of blown out of port. I look at it, I'm like, I don't. It didn't look like anything to me. I mean, it, yeah, he was yeah. a little hotter than most coaches you're probably gonna see, but. It, the kid did something he shouldn't
1: have done in the first place. <laughs> right, and door,
2: I, wanna, I, to I wanna jump yep. in before you go to your next your yep. last one in your top three because I want to talk about this a little bit. The macro yep. situation. Um, you know, there there's a double edged sword that we're walking right now as a sports as a sports society. Um you have you know these the sports is a business. And with it being a business the goal is to reach as many eyeballs as possible, right? Yes. And what unfortunately happens is you get people who aren't indoctrinated into the culture of the sport watching and paying attention to the sport. And I think you're right. People have more access than ever, and more cameras are on the field. Cameras are everywhere. People have camera phones, you know, There's nothing that is off-limits as far as, you know, the playing field and what's visible to the televised eye. And so now you have people seeing stuff like this who weren't athletes, who weren't indoctrinated into the culture of athletics, and, you know, they have a certain response to it. And so that's a double-edged sword to it. We have more people consuming sports, but then also those people – may not necessarily be hardcore sports fans or hardcore football fans or hardcore basketball fans or hardcore baseball fans. And in order to appeal to the masses, you sometimes have to vanilla what it is you're 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 trying to do. And I think that's the shift that's really at play. People want to make it about old school, new school, but I think it's more about money. It's more about the, the marketing of sports. And when you have these non traditional sports fans watching Sports Center now, you know, you got soccer moms watching Sports Center, they cringe at that kind of stuff, you know, because why they weren't, they're not, they, they're like, well, that's a part of it? That's a, you know, that's a piece of it. It goes, you can do that, you know, because there are things that happen in sports on the sidelines, on the field that in other realms of society are unacceptable, you know, and that's something that as sports people, as sports consumers, as hardcore sports people, athletes, coaches, referees, whatever, we have to acknowledge that and that some of the stuff that we do that's normal to us is not regular gen pop practice. And when you have folks consuming it and you're trying to push people who aren't hardcore into your sport to pay attention to your sport, you're gonna get that, and that's a double a sort of growing a sport you know as a uh, as a coach you know and trying to build a basketball program right and to build a girls' basketball program. I can't be Bobby Knight; that's gonna turn people off, and i 'cause I'm trying to pull in I'm trying to pull people in you know so I have to kind of be a certain way. Um, And in addition to that, as a coach, you know, I'm the type of coach where I'm dropping a hammer in practice. Um, Because in the end, my goal is to motivate my players. My goal is to get my players to play together, to play well. Mm -hmm. And I coach young people. And I know for me to uh, publicly berate a young person may not be the optimal thing for that particular kid. Now, some kids can handle that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, there are some kids who... Can You can go at them. I was a kid like that. You know, my high school coach, my college coach, you can go at me hard. I'm going to stare you dead in the eye, nod my head, and go back out there and do my job. You know what I mean?
1: But I had teammates who
2: couldn't handle that. You know, I had teammates who wouldn't respond to that. They would crawl into a shell. You know what I mean? And so it's that, finding that balance is really important. What do yep. you think about those two things? That, that idea of, you know, as a coach, you can't always go to your hammer. Sometimes you need your screwdriver. You know, sometimes you need the Phillips. Sometimes you need, you know, a flathead. But you have to have different tools in your toolbox. And then that other piece of societally, as we try and grow sport from a marketing and an economic perspective, we're opening ourselves up to this.
0: Yeah, I I would say that, you know, the best coaches can do that, right? And even in this context, we don't know if that – with what he did or didn't do, right? He didn't know, we don't know what the context, like he might have had multiple conversations with this young man, and finally he was
2: like, right. he just doesn't understand. So now I just got to go to where I
0: got to go to, right? And you do have those kind of coaches that can, they, they're, they're hardball, he's up a hardball, he has a short shelf life, <laughs> right? There are coaches that right. they, they got that and they know that, and they're there. But, I, I, you know, I think the best coaches get a sense of what buttons to push with players. And they're thinking developmentally. They're not always um, coming at them with the same method or whatever. You know, there are times when they're trying to pick them up. You know, I, I had a great coach, uh, Paul Tess, who was our defensive coordinator uh, at, at uh, in our Pioneer. We were making our second round for a state championship. And uh, we're playing against Adrian and uh, we were down with about, you know, it must have been less than four minutes left. And people were leaving the stadium. We were undefeated, hadn't lost, were leaving the stadium. And I remember him coming out to the huddle, and, you know, it was kind of a tense moment. We are like, we cannot believe. And defensively, we had not let anybody over the 50. And this game, we were having problems stopping. And so he comes out, and he just says a joke, and we just start laughing. And then next thing I know, my guy, Dave, Cargo hits this cat, knocks the ball out, and then we're making a run. Like, the timing. Like, this is when you think you he's going to yell at you because we were not playing as well as we needed to. You know, he, he, he said something funny, and it just relaxes us, and we start playing. So you got to know right. your team. And the right. thing I think and people miss mean. about this at all stages is that there is growth. The greatest thing about sport is learning how to deal with failure and setback. And part of what you described is, you know, some people, like you are just able to do it, but some people grow into understanding they can do that. And part of that, that's that growth and that maturity and, and understanding the dynamics between you and the coach is part of that growth that I think people go through at all stages of sport. That is, is a growth part. And I think we miss that. And part of that is that that setback, that, that interaction, that – failure on assignment and learning from it it's all that is part of the growth that allows for you to then be successful in other aspects of your life and i I think we were so sensitive to these things that we're taking away the biggest the greatest thing about participating in sport that is overcoming setback
2: right and setback
0: can come at you in a lot of different ways and and that's what i hope when we don't lose
2: yeah, and I like it into a – it's akin to the, the parent that, you know, their kid isn't playing and they want to come and have a meeting with you. No, don't rob your your athlete of this teachable moment, right? Yes. Don't rob your athlete. This is the safest environment for your athlete to learn how to advocate for themselves. There are no real-life yes.
1: consequences.
2: You know what I mean? They're, they're, like, if they don't play in this basketball game as, as you know, you, they're playing 15 minutes, you want them to play 20, that five minutes is not going to, you know, necessarily make or break their life course, you know what I mean. So this is a chance for them to come out and be able to advocate themselves, have a conversation. But so many, I think, in society, so many parents want to kind of take that away from the kid instead of oh. let the kid have that experience. And, and again, sports is a very, it's a very uh, kind of a, a neutral place to have that happen because the consequences um, and ramifications of yeah. of the whole thing aren't life shattering. Like you're not losing a job, you're not going to get cut pay you know, yes. it's playing time. And,
0: and it's, why, I mean. yeah, it's why, yeah, and it's why, you know, you need, you know, if it, it's why you would go home and shovel off the court to put the extra shots up exactly. if you couldn't get in the gym. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. It's why you're going to go run that hill on your own because you know you got to get a little bit faster. It's why you're going to spend a little more time in that playbook you know, when everybody else is going back and resting. You know what I'm saying? You you develop you yeah. you develop a, you develop a your approach to success. And maybe your approach to success is like, well, I started this natural skill, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to know what I'm supposed to do, I know where I'm supposed to be, and I'm going to be there. And so what I'm going to make exactly. up for in lack of this is I'm going to make up in preparation, and that's how I'm going to get time. Right. You know, and right. that kind of problem-solving skill. That parents take away from their kids yeah. is that yeah. is what we're losing—the ability to find solutions, even when you think your back yeah. is against the wall.
2: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely, I agree. Now I want to revisit before I let you finish your top three. You brought up yeah. Serena, and I want to talk about that for a second. You know, you you brought up a real interesting. Uh, she was being built, and this is this is as a as a as a man who coaches young women um and coaches a uh, female sport, this is something that I always find interesting. And it's the dynamics about how around how um uh, men's sports are covered and female sports are covered. And I think it's a canary in the mind of where we are around gender equity in our country yeah. um socially and in particular in sports. Um Serena before this match was being billed as the most dominant one of the most dominant athletes, man or male mm-hmm. or female of her era right, of this era, and then she loses. So she has this <laughs> epic battle with her sister, right, and then, you know, she loses to someone who's a virtual unknown to the casual, you know, the casual tennis observer, women's tennis observer. And there are two parts to this that, you know, one is just the, comp- the, comp- the, just the sheer competition of it. Um, you know, was there a letdown? You know, there was so much hype built up around her battling her sister, what she was about to accomplish. Was there some sort of a letdown um, as she finally got to this championship round? That happens, right? If she were a male athlete, if she were Floyd Mayweather or Tiger Woods, you know, someone participating in an individual sport, and we were talking about how she was the most dominant athlete of her era and then she goes and loses to someone we really don't know, we would have run her across the coals. Yeah, you know, if she were
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, and that's why I say the litmus test or the canary in the mind around gender equity is when we get to the point where we're doing where we're where we're doling out credit and vitriol equally. You know what I mean? Like when we see that when we expect that 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 kind of killer instinct from great female athletes, that we do for male athletes, you know, if he if she's a male, we're
1: questioning
2: her her killer instinct. Like you know, with LeBron, you know, we're questioning her killer instinct. We're questioning really, well, whether or not she has the clutch gene. You know what I mean? We're questioning her yeah. mental focus right now. But we're not doing that. You know, what do you think about that? Do you think that that speaks to to where we're at as far as how we view sports from a from a gender perspective.
1: Well, I mean,
0: she's a very difficult. She's an interesting case because you could make the argument that she's not getting as much love as she should. Like the great girl lo- I was loving was giving her success. Should she have much more? Uh, benefits commercially in terms of endorsements. You know, then I started going into Chase Bank and all these other places, and she was everywhere. But, like, she's an interesting person in this conversation because of her origin, you know, coming from Compton, um, coming in this and and how she was framed, you know, coming into this stuff. And so... um, the kind of criticism and the kind of stuff that's happened with her, and even more so her than, than Venus, I would say, because um, her her persona out the gate, Venus has always come out kind of kind of at grace in a different way. But but has always been hard out the gate, right? And so in, in, in ways in which we might uh, attribute to, even in that sport, some of the male tennis players um and, and so she wasn't framed in a way I mean you think about some of the um the tennis stars with less success who've got more endorsements so just that whole framing up so it was kind of weird to even this love fest that people were kind of, you know it's kind of like people felt guilty or trying to make up for it you know what I'm saying Mhm yeah, right right with her and so she's a I mean I I think in general I think you you got a really good I think you're hitting on to something but she's an interesting person in this because not only the the, the history of this sport, and when you think about from socioeconomic, you think about from race, but this is the fact, and you think about the kind of people who have access to this sport, right? And you think about how they came up through it uh, from courts uh, in South Central to this. So she, I mean, I think in general you're, your yeah, your observation is right on she's but she is an interesting person, even in the context of that, if that makes sense absolutely um yeah
2: well i i and i and I hear what you're saying and i and I agree with you, I think that's what makes it so so interesting yeah. is that you know it was almost like people felt like we should be paying more attention to her. let's pay more yes. attention to her, oh, she lost, let's not say anything about it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> 'Cause we Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I it mean
0: was, it was weird. she was I at think, the press conference like basically saying she me. got lucky played the best game of her life. And normally they would have gotten on her, you remember because before she did that, and they got on her. And they they kinda talked about it but they talked around it, you notice that? Cause she was yeah. kind of like, uh, she kind of got lucky. Like she, she played the best game of her life. You know, basically was it was like a backhanded compliment <laughs> to how she right. played. You know, so yeah, you know like, they couldn't feel like they could get on her the way they really gotten on like a LeBron or or think about what they're doing to Eli right now. You know, you know, and mm-hmm. they didn't, you know she didn't finish the deal. You know, but I think because they have been so rough on her. In some places when they shouldn't have been rough, they couldn't do it now. You know what I'm saying?
1: I mean, if you think about how
0: they to her in the past, and even when she won, I mean when she did the Crip Walk, they didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: when
0: she crip them, you know they, that, threw them yeah. Yeah, that threw them off. A bit. So, the floor, you know that threw them off a little bit you know they They didn't know what uh, you know so they it was almost like they're trying to do makeup calls with her right now, and you're right, know, you know she was in the biggest moment was trying to close the deal, and you thought you know there could have been a lot more criticism, but it's hard to criticize somebody who just won the the first three, you know what I'm saying,
1: right, <laughs> right.
0: on that they haven't been hard on other people in similar situations, right? Mm-hmm. And I, mean, I think they were taking them to task. They've been taking the media to task around her. And so I think some of the people who would have been critical tippy-toed because
1: right, you know, right. people have
0: been pushing back on them like, you know, look at all her accomplishments. Y'all should be hugging her, not criticizing everything she does, which is true. Yeah, Like, look at what she's done. Like, she's dominated. And do you feel like she's dominated? Do you feel like they treat her like, you know, you know, they don't even treat her, you know, you know, like uh, you know any other star. You might think that they should treat like that, you know, with that kind yeah. of that level of domination, you know. So you know, she, she's not she's not getting that that love the way that you would when you win that much. So I think they were just kind of
2: I think that was part of the mix that they were caught up in. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I want to hit. Yeah. I want to give you a chance to hit your, uh, your the last one of your top three. A great first top two. You got Serena um, losing in the in the uh, finals, um, missing a chance to do the calendar Grand Slam. Um, and then you got uh, McElwain University of Florida going off on a on the sideline. Good, good start. What else you got? Man, now uh, this one,
0: this is like the icing on the cake right now, man. On this one. That just I just don't understand it, but it's a crazy phenomena. The Don, Donald Trump. I mean yeah. he, could, he has he turned the political landscape on his head. But let's like let's just think about this from the basics. Like, you know, you and I grew up we grew up I I guess I would say I grew up in a time when being in politics you had to be a states person. Like, it right. was Like, even though they was on the opposite side of the fence, it wasn't uh, unusual for people on the opposite side of the fence to come together for the common good. So, you know, Democrat and Republican always had differences. But if you look at politics, you know, uh, even up through the 70s, and I think 80s were where it turned, you had to bring something. Now, the best thing Don has ever brought us is television shows. job description, there's nothing that tells you he should be running the way he's running. But there's there's this crazy phenomenon, and the crazy thing about it is it's upsetting the whole Republican establishment. It's so bad that now they got Dr. Ben Carson closing in fast on him. So the Republicans got a brother. I'm not trying to fool nothing, but the the, the national platform hadn't been one that was supportive of that. Uh, now is the the only saving grace when you got a bush in the in the run. It is a crazy situation and he's throwing them off so much I just thought they you know the Republican like you know you know how you when you run the distance, you always know, had like a guy who's a rabbit? You know, you have these, yeah. you always tell the Olympics, they're like, the, the, the distance runners, you're like, well, you know, John Vavos from Italy is going to set the pace <laughs> for the other people in the 8,000 to actually win the gold. You know that? So they always right. know who the rabbit is. I think, I think they thought Don knew he was supposed to be the rabbit, but Don was like, I'm going to keep running. <laughs> I'm going to keep running. You <laughs> might think I'm going rabbit, but I'm going to win this race. He is causing some craziness. And the thing about it is we let him get away with some crazy stuff. And I'm like, that's Why are me. we here? Like, how that's how do you get away me. with that's, some that's
2: of the stuff? Say? So this huh? is the thing, man. This is the thing for me, all right? This is the thing that i with, with Donald Trump and and, and and some other people on the Republican ticket. Um just like this idea of credentials, right? You know yes. Ben Carson is a is a neurosurgeon. Like he had to. I know he, he's He's a really. He has to be really smart to even like the level of credentials you have to be brown and in this in this conversation, and you got people like Scott Walker who ain't, ain't got no type of degree, and you got like Donald uh, Trump. That's what I'm saying. I don't know you how he they 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 did it because he got, so like, he, got like, he got to work. He had credentials, exactly. right? Exactly, and he and not credentials, but he <laughs> he's excelled at something. Like you know what I mean? He he's highly highly skilled at something. And what's gotten me is that Donald Trump is, like, uh, his speeches, like, I watched one of his speeches full all the way through, right? I watched one all the way through. This dude is, like,
1: he's like a wrestler.
2: He's like Dusty (laughs) Rhodes, you know what I'm saying? He's like Rowdy Piper, R.I.P. both (laughs) of them. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And he's like macho man Randy Savage. He's just going up there and he's I'm like, I know, think gonna say I'm killing really him in that's a, the end I mean, he's like, he, it's almost like he's rapping. You know, he goes up there and he's like, you know, I'm killing him in the polls. What can I say? I'm killing him. I'm killing him. <laughs> we, we went to Iowa. We killed him. I'm leading the polls. What can I say? All he does is shout out himself and how he's leading in the polls. <laughs> he's like the punk daddy of politics. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is, I'm, he's really like, is this a speech? Is this a speech? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like he's like the Mason Beth of politics. Like he's not saying anything. I mean, he he he, he makes no policy point. Everything comes back to I'm an authority. No, seriously, everything he says comes back to I can say this because I'm leading the poll. I'm popular. You know what I mean? That was, that's,
1: that's that's a that, that's
2: shiny suit rap, right? That's shiny suit rap <laughs> from the mid '90s. That's shiny suit rap. Which like, it don't matter if I got skills. I'm flossy. <laughs> I'm talking <laughs> on you. It don't matter if I got skills. I got a 5.0 Ben. You know what I'm saying? That's basically what he's doing right now. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy.
1: And it, 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 Ken Bush crazy, just looks shocked. You know, you know what to do. You don't know how to get at him. And, you know,
0: it Ben is just like, I'm going to surgically just make my move. It's crazy, right. man. But he just right. set the whole world on fire. And his numbers are going up and Hillary's are going down. I don't understand this stuff. But and, this and is what we get as people. He, he, like he, we, we are not holding it down as people. So we get we get whatever we get because we allow it to happen. So
1: that's but, my but real thing. I, I don't understand do it. it. I don't
0: know what to do with it. But you just you nailed it. And that one every time yeah. I look at it, it's kinda like I look up in it. Okay, there goes the comedy show. I'm gonna come back in two weeks it's still gonna be there. It's like I can't even right. watch it.
1: Right. Because I'm like, but I can't believe we're going
0: for this.
2: Yeah, but what I will say is <laughs> I, there's a bit of technology at play. And I'm a, I'm going a to hit the RSG listeners to it. There's a bit of the technology at play with it. So, you know, <laughs> election cycles, right? You know, it's not fun if there's a – like it's like a basketball. It's like a sports season, right? It's not fun yeah. unless the favorite has some turmoil, right? Yeah. It's not – if there's a wire-to-wire favorite, that's not as interesting as a dark horse coming out of the blue, a wild card, a Cinderella, you know, or the favorite totally tanking. Those are things that, those are the types of stories that we latch ourselves on to. That's just storytelling one-on-one, right? That's the right. fallen hero, the underdog that rises from the ashes,
1: you know, that's the right. rise of the
2: hero that's fallen, all those kind of traditional story arcs that great literature has, great pieces of literature have been about and have set kind of that tone and that format and those genres. That's really what the mainstream media tries to do during these times, right? Donald Trump is hot. But he's not as hot as it's again, it's that it's that mid nineties payola hip hop radio <laughs> technology.
1: You know what I'm saying? Like
2: just because the radio station is playing it eight times a day doesn't mean it's really that hot, though, <laughs> right? But because it's, and I take this back. I take this back to my high school art class, my high school drawing for. I'm nice with a pencil and a pen. You know, I can get down with some art. And so I had I had a you know advanced drawing. My senior year of high school, 1998-1999, Father High School, Madison, Wisconsin and every day the art teacher would come in and he would just turn on the radio. And, you know, he would put it on a local pop station. It was clean enough to play and not offensive enough where he would get in any trouble and we wouldn't be in there singing crazy songs. But a song came on the radio every single day. Will Smith, Welcome to Miami. Party in the City When the Heat is On, All Night on the Beach to the Break of Dawn. I hated that song, but guess what? I know every single word. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Within that hour span, when I was in that classroom, it came on like three times. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so that made it hot, right? That in itself made it hot. And so the thing I think we have to, as the public, be hip to is that with media and with the 24-hour news cycle, they got to talk about something, and they have to create a storyline for this political race. And Hillary running a the, running the race and being in the front from beginning to end is not interesting. You know what I mean? Jeb Bush running the race as a front runner from beginning to end is not interesting. But what they can do is they can create a dark horse. And they can find a you can find a pole for anything. You can find a pole where, you know, these nuts
1: <laughs> is winning.
2: You know what I'm saying? You can find a part the kid out of Iowa, the kid that's running out of Iowa, you know, these nuts. He's he's probably winning in a poll somewhere. You know what I'm saying? So you can find a pole that will back up whatever story you're trying to run with. Or you can set up your own poll. You know, nowadays I can I could get a poll out there about some stuff. You know what I'm saying? So that's the thing that I think the public has to kind of check ourselves on is that I still don't think Trump can win no general election because he ain't talking about nothing. <laughs> when the rubber hit the road, he ain't talking about nothing. <laughs> you know where I'm coming from? We, where I come from, we got a little thing. You know what I'm saying? You making a lot of noise. You ain't saying. You ain't talking about nothing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and
2: making, he's making a lot of noise But he ain't talking about nothing So, you know what I mean I ain't, I ain't, I'm i not really sweating him You know what I mean, and I don't think Hillary's really sweating him Hillary's not really attacking him, going hard at him She's throwing a few jabs here and there But if she really thought he was an opponent She'd be swinging for the fences against him um, So that's the technology that we gotta be As a society And, and The media has to create a storyline Or else you know this election cycle will go by and they won't be able to reap the ratings, right? Their business too, and that's the thing we can't we can't let the you know I always try and have those that filter on with the media about what's important and what's not, what's really a story and what's not because they have to. They're the kid in class who just can't shut up, and so they yeah. talk about it. They talk about it. they always got to be talking, and we all had that dude or that one that girl in class who just couldn't shut up and they talked about everything under the sun. And some of it was worth listening to, and some of it wasn't. And that's the media in 2015. You know, you scroll down your Facebook page, and there's some stuff you just got to scroll past. (laughs) And then there's some (laughs) stuff you're going to stop on. Your filter has – you have to have a strong filter game in 2000. In the information age, your filter game has to be on 10. You know what I'm saying? You have to have a, a, a tight filter game, or else you will get caught up in the technology of mass media. So that's just the that's just my that's just my real sports guys my renegade PSA for for this for this show. Um, we're gonna take a quick break. You're listening to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, dot com, Renegade Radio. Getting you off with D Wheels top three. Uh, it's some good selections there. Some real good conversation. We're gonna we're gonna hit you <laughs> off with a quick break, and we'll be right back in a moment. Back to the Real Sports Guys for Real Guys Talk, Real Sports, RSC Renegade Radio brought to you by our Resistance Digital Solutions, Rock, uh on the Rocks and Rockford, Illinois, XL Academics and Ferguson County. Uh, all guests and hosts appear via the Frederick County Gateway. So D, we'll just hit you off with his top three. I'm gonna run through my top three real quick. Uh, and then we're gonna get to talking some NFL football, fantasy football, and all things football related for the remainder of the show. Uh first, my number one in my top three uh Floyd Mayweather. Floyd <laughs> fought Burdo this weekend. Very quiet fight by Floyd's standards. Um, not a lot of buzz in the streets about this one. Floyd's retiring at 49 and 0. Um I think Floyd got his card pulled on this one a little bit. I think he did. Floyd is a marketing genius. We all know this. We all understand this, and we all recognize this. Floyd is a marketing, he's just brilliant when it comes to marketing himself, um, branding himself, Um, but I I think he swung and missed on this one. He swung and missed, Um, and it started with the Pacquiao fight. And again, this is that double-edged sword of bringing in the casual, non- um, indoctrinated uh, fan consumer into the mix, right? Because if they hit critical mass, they can they can push the opinion of something the other way in an uneducated way, right? So after the Floyd Mayweather fight, a lot of folks, after the uh, Pacquiao fight, a lot of folks was like, oh, Floyd's boring. That was a boring fight, you know? And most of those people that were saying it, it was boring don't know jack about boxing, right? Yeah. But it was a much-hyped fight. And so all those people bought into that and signed up, paid to either go watch it at somebody's house or paid to watch it at their own house or went to a restaurant and watched it. And I think that backfired. I think the amount of hype that was generated by that, because this last fight came and went very quietly. You know what I mean? Yeah. And when you talk about surveying social media, there was there was not the fervor around this fight as there was for the Pacquiao Mayweather fight um, a couple months back. So that, to me, I think, you know, and Floyd tried to market it as his retirement. You know, he said, I'm, I'm going to retire after this fight, thinking that people were going to buy it because it was Floyd's last fight. And I think what happened at that, I think the the over-saturation, right? I think Floyd hit his saturation point with the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight, and I think a lot of people who are casual fans now see Floyd as this boring boxer, and they're not interested in even being entertained by the hype of his fight. Um, So he he built this one as his his retirement fight, and his number 50, which he's going to fight again, he will fight for number 50, And that will be his comeback fight. And that will be his market employee for that one. You know, you've got to have an angle, right? (laughs) He's going to come back and he's going to market his next fight. Floyd Mayweather's coming back. And we'll see how people respond to it. But this was a lukewarm response. I'm sure he took home a hefty purse. I'm sure he made his money because he does. But as far as Floyd goes, this was a a lukewarm response um, in comparison to his other major fights. What were your thoughts on uh, not just the fight itself, but because uh, I didn't even watch the fight. I didn't even care to watch the fight, you know. What was your what was your what was your level of interest and intrigue around this Floyd Mayweather fight?
0: I'll say this, I you know, uh, the fight was a little bit better than I anticipated. I, I did score the fight, Floyd, you know, won, you know, by a pretty good margin, but Berto came and fought. So it was a a fight for for boxing people, um, you know, uh, in a sense. But I think you get all the key notes. The funny thing, I was off uh, uh, to Ron on uh, Twitter and uh, Briggs, who we uh, love, great contributor to our, our platform. Check him out on Boxing.com. And I'm like, you know, Oscar De La Jolla was saying all this stuff. I'm like, man, quit hating. It, it like the hater aid, some of this hater aid from people like Oscar and some of these folks are just over the top. It's like to the point where it's like, Stop hating. So, yeah, you know, all the things you said was right about Floyd. But the stuff that I see, I I see Oscar and some of these people in the Twitterverse talking about, I'm like, y'all just hating. Like, he beat you, man. And, you know, if Floyd just walked off, Floyd, they mad because not too many fighters can have the discipline, no matter what people are saying, to understand that the key to boxing is to hit not get hit. He just—he just that discipline alone is amazing, and sometimes you know, a lot of times public opinion can push a like uh, no other sport can public opinion push a boxer into a fight that that boxer should not be in. It's the one fight. It's the one thing that can do that in some ways, and lot of people think. It. So yeah, I think you hit it right on the head. I think you know, it was funny because the IV thing that came out. I was like, Floyd might have leaked that. You know what I'm saying?
1: Right. To exactly. create the
0: exactly. buzz for the pop, for the yeah. for the possible Pacquiao fight, to give the Pacquiao fight something. You know what I'm saying? But you know, right. I think he played he played his biggest thing, got his money, and when you get that big kind of hit, it's hard to come back and rob the bank. You know what I'm saying? You can't exactly, it. once yeah. you rob Floyd
2: <laughs> Knox, now they see you coming. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, you walk in there, he's like, "You can go ahead and take that ski mask off, bro. You ain't getting this job." <laughs> I mean, he set the game up so lovely and walked out with the money with the
0: check, with the actually—you know—you you, 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 we took that that. He walked out. Ain't us get their money like electronically transferred? He walked out with, money, like, uh, uh, walk out with the check. <laughs> like that's old school, you know. Once you walk up with yeah. the check, nobody all right, the bill momentum. The only way he could have done it and got something out of this, was to fight one of these young cats, Garcia, yeah. Khan. Yeah. That might have got him a little bit. The only way he going to yeah. generate energy is get one of these young cats like that that people kind of think might be able to go with him on something. You know what I'm
2: saying? But yep. he wasn't trying yep. to do
0: that. So, you nah. know, that's the only way he going to be able to generate a Pacquiao fight. Not, not dread. I think the only fight that might generate something, if Khan wins another big fight, you know, possibly – um, you know, whatever happens with uh, uh, Canelo in in, uh, in in that fight, um, you know, if something comes back up, but, you know, there's you know unless he's going to fight one of these young guns, like Thurman, and one of these young guns that people are like, wow, this is a beast, you know, that's the only way he's going to try and generate uh, some real money, because uh, I don't think people are going to buy because, you know, he, he robbed Fort Knox, you just can't create Fort Knox again. Now, if anybody else can do
2: yeah. it,
0: it's Floyd. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, you can't you can't count them out. You can't count them out. So that's my number one. My number two is James Blake. Um, putting the popos on black, putting NYPD on black. Shout out to James Blake. Um, I mean just shedding light, and I and I and the reason I have him as my number two is because um it, it's a it's a great opportunity. And when the video footage came out again, I think it just it just sheds light on just the plight and the struggle. Um, of being an African American man in this world, let alone the United States, um, and no matter how pro, how high your profile is, um, you know you never you never too too high for that moment. You know what I mean? For yeah. that moment where where they pull your card um, and try to test you, and um, you know I appreciate him using the platform that he has through his fame and his uh, his notoriety to try and shed light on it. Um, you know. So I, I just wanted to take a moment to, to to discuss that for a second, man. Given all of all of the things that have happened, you know, and how people try and paint uh lesser known individuals um outside of their character, try to taint their character, um try to bring up, you know, their mis their mis their, mis, their missteps in life or, you know, their their character flaws or whatever when something goes down. This is a brother who is literally <laughs> literally sitting, <laughs> standing, minding his business, and he just gets bum raced by the police. You know, that whole internet meme of it, if you don't wanna if you don't want to get beat up by the police then stop committing crimes. Um what crime was he committing other than being brown and standing around minding his business You know So I just want I just want to shed some light on that That's all uh, Any thoughts on, on the James Blake situation
0: it, You know I think When people People Fail to understand The human element In this And the origins Of Who's populating Police forces You know And historical connection To which groups were there first, you know, from immigrant stuff. So there's a there's a cultural dynamic in terms of law enforcement that is 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 tied into this. That then ends up to this context of race. You know, you think about the groups that that the highly populated police forces, particularly coming through the 20s, 30s, and 40s. So this there's an origin to the undercultural and the rituals in the way in which people respond when when a fallen officer, so there's some rituals and cultural stuff that all lead up to this stuff that we talk about. And then, you know, for, you know, when you are driving, and I drive to work every day, you know, you're constantly looking over your shoulders because this idea of difference and people being afraid of who you are and thinking who you are is real. And it's just, it's hard. So it doesn't matter what your degrees are and whatever. You know, talk to any black male with a Ph.D. walking through Walmart. They always think somebody's looking at them. And it's that that, that, that everyday um, feeling that you can be stopped. And this is just, a, 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 you know, it elevates it, you know, but I think, you know, people try to come up with ways to excuse it rather than saying, how can we be better? So you have the union coming out with a statement defending the action. Stop defending the actions and figure out how you can really live up to this idea of protect and serve everybody. I think that's the challenge here. Because every time you're trying to come out to counter this, rather than saying we got to just do a better job of protecting and serving everyone, right? We got to get to that point, and we just see, we can't seem to kind of break this cycle. And it takes something like this to just let you know that this ain't every old Joe, everyday Joe. This is every everybody is uh, susceptible to this stuff.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and a couple weeks back, you know, Hillary Clinton had the uh, the conversation with Black Lives Matter. Um, and the, the activists for, with a group of activists from Black Lives Matter, and it, it got a lot of different. It, it 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 got a real interesting reaction to for me from, um, and that conversation from liberals, um, and liberals seem to have, you know, Black Lives Matter activists have disrupted, you know, a, a couple of rallies here or there for Bernie Sanders and have approached Hillary Clinton um, to have conversations, and Hillary's response to the activists, you know, they they, they laid out some some, some pretty basic um, questions for Hillary and, and around what was her stance. And her response was basically, if you'd like my support, you guys need to come up with a clear agenda. Um, and to me, that was a bit of a, a cop-out. You know, that was a bit of a cop-out in my opinion. Um, and I think that's the thing that has upset me about this election cycle is that you know the left always points to the right as the uh the racist party um but there's 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 a there's a there's an underbelly of racism within the left within the liberal um ideology um and that bothers me because liberals don't want to acknowledge it the fact that if you asked Hillary about women's rights, she'd have an answer right if you ask her about immigration, she'd have an answer. He, there, there doesn't need to be any, nobody needs to set forth an agenda for those particular topics for her to have an answer. But when it comes to you know policing of African American communities and the Black Lives Matters movement, they need to have an agenda for her to you know if someone asked her what's her opinion on you know gay marriage or you know a couple of years ago when it before it became uh, you know federally legal, um, she would have had a, she would have had a stance. Right? She wouldn't have yeah. ducked and dodged around it. Um, saying, "Well, you need to come with an agenda." So to me, that's cowardly, and you know, I I I have an issue with that. And you know, I'm a fan of Bill Maher, and I watched his show. And he almost he almost uh, scolded the activists for asking Hillary to have an opinion on something that mattered to them, as if it was their fault, like they were making her look bad. And so, liberals, you you gotta you, you gotta you, you gotta come stronger.
1: That's all I'm saying.
2: You gotta come well, stronger if you want to be and alive, and I would You add gotta that, come because, stronger, and you gotta, yeah, you gotta, because, you gotta figure out. You can't keep taking the vote for for uh, for granted. That's that's my point.
0: This is something that I've always told folks.
1: <laughs>
0: don't don't be just voting because that's what Grandma voted. You know you got right. put pressure. And I think part yeah. of it is the reason why is because as much as this is an important issue. It's not the stuff that gets you votes, and so unless, unless that becomes a voting block the way it should be, absolutely that's absolutely. what that's why people start answering so right the response to this is, is folks got to participate in the voting the, the 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 showing in the polls got to be you got to be a voting block and not a voting block that that is is predictable <laughs> that's the key the voting block that votes for the candidate that understands the issue. And I think that's part of it, because then she wouldn't be saying that. She would have it on her platform.
2: Absolutely. I feel you. I feel you. So that's my number That's my number two. My number three, uh, the shout-out to Moses Malone passing away this oh, week. You know I want to say that.
0: I'm um, going to say that. I say that word. I'll let you go do it, do your thing.
2: Yeah, so uh, I just wanted to, you know, one of the greatest players in the history of the league, you know, just an all-time great, and I, I just wanted to take a second to to, to give a shout out on our airways to Moses Malone, um, dominant rebounder, dominant low post score, excellent free throw shooter, excellent free okay. throw shooter for a big man. Moses was greedy. <laughs> Moses didn't like Boy, all, no man. free points, <laughs> man. He didn't like to give up no free points. So, uh, shout out to Moses Malone. Uh of the Houston Rockets, Philadelphia Seventy Sixers, and many other teams as he finished out his career, but he was most dominant with those two squads. Um, shout out to, to Big Moses. So
0: And, and as Moses said, I love I remember watching good you know, I was I'm a Pitt, I grew up a Pitts fan and a Sixers fan. I love the Sixers. And I remember watching when they won that championship, watching uh what I think it was Good Morning America. He said, we wanted to go 4-4-4, four, 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 but we had to go 4-5-4. Four, four. Man, that was the best thing ever. I love Moses to death. That was the greatest run. Uh, we're going to miss him dearly.
2: Absolutely. You're listening to the Real Sports Guys, RealSportsGuys.com, RSG Renegade Radio. We are about to hit you off with an addition of five on the black hand side. We're going to talk NFL talk, give you some week one recappage. I don't even know if that's a word, but we're going to use it on air tonight. Recappage gonna give you some recappage of week one in the NFL. So let's go ahead and hit you off a little something like this. Five uh, five uh, uh, on the black hand side. So week one NFL is in the books. It was just great to have football back. Um this I have made i made a commitment this year to really try and enjoy games and not just scoreboard watch or watch the ticker. I've gotten in the habit of doing that because I'm playing fantasy football and I want to see how my guys are are doing, I'm really just trying to sit down and enjoy games front to back. Just watch, sit down and watch at least one game a weekend and just watch it and just appreciate that game and just focus on that game and not keep watching the ticket and just check the ticket later. Um, I'll probably say I did a, a C-plus job of that this week. I got to keep getting better. I got a lot of room to grow. But I'm trying to bring back some enjoyment beyond just fantasy football but actually enjoying watching the games that are on. In the games that are televised, um, so week one is in the books. We want to break this thing down and let it forever be broken. Um, a first question in the or first, yeah, first question in the five on the black hand side I got for you, D. Wills, is Kirk Cousins really a better option than RG three?
0: No. But, you know, there's this phenomenon, you know, that we continue to fall for is the backup quarterback. I mean, it's picked up over the past five, seven seasons, and we can probably name all of them. If you live in a lot of our podcasts, we probably revisit this, and it's always a new person. And, you know, I, I you know, Kirk Cousins is serviceable. But if you look at what he he, he did before this, he there was no evidence that he was going to, you know, do what he needs to do, you know. RG three is is an is an example of an organization, I would say, in or on the player development side, failing. And I know there's some things that he needed to be part of, but I just think, you know, and I said this before on the previous podcast, you know, I just think that, and this isn't Snyder's fault. This is one player I, I'm not going to blame on him. I'm going to blame on the player development people. But I, I just don't see Kirk having the upside you need. Um, and so I don't know where they go from there. I don't think he's a better option than RG3. Um, you know. Uh, but I, I think that Gruden got in his head that he didn't like this kid and he just going to go with the person that he feels like is at practice every day you know, in, in a way that he wants. So I don't think it's a better option, but, you know, that's what they decide to do. And if they don't win – the head guy gonna clear clear house.
2: Yeah, you make your bed, you gotta sleep in it. You know, so I'm looking at his stats right now: uh, twenty-one for thirty-one, sixty-seven percent of his passes completed, one hundred ninety-six yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, sacked once. QB rating of sixty-eight point eight. Um, and to me, that is just not a. Uh, that's not a messiah like line. Um and I I'm 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 really trying to understand yeah I'm really trying to understand just uh, the dynamic with with Washington fans the Washington coaching staff the Washington brass and this 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 distaste for RG three um is he the most likable guy in the world no um but the thing I will say and and this is this is something that came came to me as I watched Marcus Mariota. Um run all run rough shot over the uh Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense, and when you put in elements that are catered to your quarterback skill set, and I know r g three had a hand in in kind of pushing away the zone read style um, coming in the second year and saying he didn't wanna run that type of stuff no more. Um, somebody should have told him to shut up and go sit down and do his job, which is to run what we tell you to run. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like Smokey Robinson, development. you know, they needed it. They needed a Smokey Robinson to come in and say, sing the song how I wrote it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you
2: know what I'm saying? That's what they needed. You know, they needed that, but they didn't have that. They didn't have a strong organization. And as you said, I think it's a failure of an organization on all, all parts. They didn't have a plan for developing him. They gave him too much power right away, um, they took what could have been a, a again you can't over over make you can't make too much out of these awesome rookie years. You and I know that it's your sophomore year that's the, at least from now on that's what I'm paying attention to young quarterbacks that's second year, especially if you started your first year, but your second year as a full time starter is the year that I think tells us who you really are because that's the year. Where the book, there's a book on you now, right? That first year, and we've seen it with Kaepernick, Cam, you know what I mean? Uh, Heck, even Andrew Luck to an extent, you know, RG3, Vince Young, you know, guys who came in right away, had some success playing a certain kind of way, and that second year, Sanchez, when he got film on him, they just didn't look like the same guy. And it wasn't because they all of a sudden couldn't throw football. It was because teams had reams and reams of film. They had broken them down. And you have to, if you can really play, if you can really be a quarterback in this league, it's going to show on how you handle your second year as a starter. You know, Blaine Gabbert couldn't survive. Blake Bortles, we'll see if he'll make it. You know, but that second year when you're starting, a full-time starter, and they got a whole season of film to see what you can and can't do, the the smoke and mirrors don't work as well. And so then the rubber hits the road. And with young quarterbacks and you got something that's working and it works during their rookie year, yes, they have to take take the next step, but you still have to build a system that's catered to what they do well. You see Tennessee doing that. Tennessee's doing that with Mariota. San Francisco did that with Kaepernick when he was successful. Seattle is still doing that with Russell Wilson, and that's why Russell is being able to win games for them. You got to do what you got to do to make that quarterback effective. You know, everybody has this prototype quarterback. If you ain't got a prototype quarterback, you got to make the guy you got work. And not enough teams do that. They try and force a guy who's not a prototype to be a prototype. Like, they, they're trying to build a system for this imaginary quarterback instead of building the system for the quarterback that's in their that's in their quarterback room. You know? And I feel like that's what Washington did with R G three. So we're gonna slide on to number two. This was round one versus Mariota versus Jameis Winston. Mariota obviously won. I mean, going thirteen for sixteen, two hundred and six yards, four touchdowns, no picks. Winston had an awful day. Mariota's team stomped on the Buccaneers. Uh, what do you make of this debut for Mariota?
0: Well, as I was writing, you know, writing my notes here on this what I what I saw is that Mariota is a better version of RG three, and Tennessee played to his strength. So I think you you just said that, and so um, I think he did for Tennessee, but he did a better job. And I think that's the one thing that is going to be different about Mariota, I think, than RG three is what I would say the coachability um, and his willingness. To embrace the process, and I think you're seeing that, and that's why I think you're seeing some. You know, we got to see what week two looks like, but I think he's a better version of what we saw with RG
2: three as a rookie. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and 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 so then the question lies, and I, I agree with you. I think you know Tennessee is, is installs some elements of what Oregon does, and that just makes sense to me. I don't know, I don't know why. Team is trying to go away from that later on, and again, you're trying to make a guy who's not a prototypical quarterback into a prototypical quarterback. Heck, I I really would say Peyton Manning's not a prototypical quarterback. The things that he does, only he can do. You know what I'm saying? Like there's not like five Peyton Mannings, and it's like, yeah, we need a guy like that. There's one Peyton Manning. There's one Aaron Rodgers. You know what I mean? Drew Brees does it his way. All of these guys are very unique. They're successful, but they're uniquely successful. You know, Brady. Has a certain way of doing things, but it's not like there's a mold, and all these guys are cut from a mold. So that idea of a prototypical quarterback, I don't believe it. Um, it's not something that I really subscribe to, because when you look at the top quarterbacks in the league, they're all very different at what they do and how they're successful. You know, yeah. Um, and I would. Add,
0: I mean, he looked good coming out from under center and 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 and, and doing a, a lot of what he was doing. But I would say that, you know, Winston is a poor version of luck because Tampa Bay is asking him to make all the standard quarterback throws and running the offense in a different way. And I think when you do that and throwing downfield, I I think that is going to be – he's going to struggle at first, but then I think he's going to get better. So I I would say he's a poor version of what luck went through learning those throws, but I think he will adjust. And I think one of the things that hurt him was not having Evans on the field, you know, having that that receiver he could trust on the field with him, um, that could help him as a young quarterback. So, but they're asking him to make all of those throws and run the offense as though, in the same way I think Indy asked Luck to run. So I think he was a poor version, a very poor version at this point, of what they're trying with of what Indy is doing with Luck. And and I don't think either one of these kids are going to fail. I think they're going to be successful in their second year. Um, but I think they're going to embrace it. I think because they both will embrace the process and know, like you said, that people are going to scout you and you got to be better, and I think they're going to try and do little things to improve. But I think Winston is a poor version of luck because I think that's the pathway Tampa is trying to take him to be able to,
2: to do all those throws. Yeah, yeah. So on the number three, Johnny Football pressed into duty. Looks like he might get another start this week. Um, how do you think this is going to work out with Johnny football and where are you at with the Johnny football show? Are you on board? I know I've never been on board. I don't think you really have. I don't know. I have to check the tape, but I don't think you've been a fan of Johnny football. Um, where are you at with Johnny football and his opportunity that lies in front of him to kind of solidify himself as an NFL quarterback?
0: Well, you know, <clears throat> unlike Mariota, he had not embraced the process, right? Um, uh, but I like his competitiveness. I actually thought he looked good on some of his throws. I saw some improvement. he doesn't have a lot of great players, I feel like, around him. Um, and he got to get down. And the thing that I always thought would work for him is, if you go back and look at the old tape, look at how uh, Washington set up the offense with Joe Theismann and the way in which they used the naked boot and the way in which they used the boot with the guard pulling wooding, But what they did was they would – what Gibbs would do was move the pocket and leverage – what he leveraged was Theismann's athleticism and his ability – and Theismann could run, too, you know, other than when, you know, uh, uh, Lawrence Taylor caught up to him. Uh, But that was on straight drawback. So I always felt like – and I felt like this also with RG3. It's it's, it's kind of weird that he in Washington that I think, you know, with some of these quarterbacks like that, if they look at that offense that they used to run with Theismann, which I thought was great – uh and, and, and sometimes they, they, they kinda limit it to half of the field. I think that would work today. And I think that uh someone like uh Johnny football could fit into that. Um I think he's their best option. I think they just gotta run with him and let him and figure out if he can play. The one thing about it is he competes. he just gotta look out he gotta get down and and not take too many shots. But the thing about him when you see him out there is he got this competitive juice about him. He's gotta figure out how to control it. But he competes. I mean, you saw the way he was scrambling and getting out the way. He gonna compete. He just, I think you only go you gotta let him play. And if I think if they let him go through a couple games and just let him, and you might take a step back, but I think it's worth it with him. I mean, I'm, I'm the more I'm seeing, I, I see the maturity, but I think they gotta help him.
1: Okay.
2: Okay. All right. Well, yeah, I, 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 you broke it down right there. All right, we're gonna to go to number four and a five on the black hand side. We're gonna talk about the New England Patriots. They've been accused of cheating again, again. <laughs> against,
1: your I to against your Pittsburgh My Steelers. Against your Pittsburgh
2: the radio signal for the Steelers' uh, radio communications went out, and they were forced to listen to <laughs> the Patriots' home <own> broadcast
1: crew. <laughs> <laughs> right,
2: to me, it's just hilarious, man, because it's it's. it's it's all in the flake gate and the spy gate and just this whole aura that the Patriots has where it's almost a whole nother set of like mental mind games that they make you play that uh, no other team in sports has, like they, they have a living mystique about themselves right now. What do you think about the, the Patriots and, and kind of where they're at as far as has their public perception around being cheaters?
0: Well, I mean, <laughs> so part of it is I, the Patriots feel like Coyntel Pro. You know, they feel like the FBI <laughs> under Hoover. You know what I'm saying? It's like they think they're trying to do it for the betterment of the league. What they're doing is for the betterment of the league and for society, but it's setting us back. You know, it's like, you know, you know, Hoover took down the uh, the Panthers and everything else, but it's Cointelpro, and it's like, and they look at you like we're doing what we're supposed to do to to preserve the American way, and they always feel like they're being victimized. When there's smoke, there's fire. I just don't know what else to say. I mean, we, who, 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 does that happen anywhere else? Have you heard that happen anywhere else? No. So why does it always happen to them? Like if you and I work with students If this was a student we work with, what would you say? Like how do you end up in the middle of everything? Why is it why are you always in my office? Right? Wouldn't you say that? Like it just can't be everybody else. Why are you always in my right. office? That's what we would say. And I don't know, I just feel like Belichick is Hoover. Walking stoically but taping your conversations in your hotel room. He just, I don't know. <laughs> and think he yeah, did it man. on behalf of the American people. <laughs> That's all
1: I can yeah. say, man. All
2: right. All right. All right. Okay. <laughs> so your book, The Way There's Smoke, there's got to be fired. there got to be
0: right. fired. It's not this much stuff don't come up, man. I don't know I'm what I'm I'm with to you, say. Man. I'm
2: with you, I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. We will go to number five. Rex Ryan and the Bills upset the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, Question, what does it say about the Bills? What does it say about the Colts?
0: Well, I I didn't think it was an upset. I mean, I knew, I had a feeling the Bills were going to be good, particularly on defense. And Rex Ryan is good against quarterbacks at the developmental stage that Luck is at. And if you think about, you know, he's a great defensive coach. If you think about what the Bills did last year, they finished fourth all overall on defense. They were first in sacks, uh, first in third down percentage, third in pass defense, third in takeaways. You know, so Rex had the had the foundation he needed. But offensively, the move to Tyrod Taylor, they got balanced offense. They had 195 yards passing, 147 yards rushing, no turnovers, and Indy had three. They, te- they made him one-dimensional offense on Indy. So he did what he usually did. I mean, Rex did Rex, and he-, he did it. What he's doing is he's making, you know, back in the day with Jim Kelly and him, Buffalo a tough place to play when you have to come in to visit. So I didn't see this as a, uh upset. It would be interesting to see the Bills. The Bills, I think, will be good all year at home. It would be interesting to see what they do with their young quarterback on the road, like in Indianapolis, you know what I'm saying, or in some place like that, mm-hmm. in Boxborough. But but at home, I think this is what you can expect to see from them.
2: Okay. So, what about the Colts? Um, do you think the Colts are? What does it tell you about the Colts?
0: Um, they they you know they got to figure out how to run the ball. I mean, they had what sixty seven yards running, rushing. Yeah. Something like that. So they 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 have to figure out. Um, you know, I think you can fall in love with luck. So much that you think you recreate. And one of Peyton's downfalls, if we say it was a downfall, is not having a strong running attack. And I feel like the, I feel like the Colts are doing the same thing with Luck that they're doing with Peyton. I think Luck is not less stubborn about understanding the power to run because of the fact he played at Stanford with someone like Harbaugh. But you know, I think they got to give him more balance, and they gotta really just you know let their defense help him. And I think. Sometimes they can, I think. Sometimes they can fall in love with luck and read the 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 the, the clippings when you need to. Sometimes even against a a, a Rex Ryan defense, be stubborn about the run.
1: It's Frank Gore. To get more balanced.
2: I mean, Frank Gore is old, right? <laughs> <laughs> Frank Gore is is old. I mean, this man's knees. This man's knees. He's like the tin man, you know,
1: you yeah, know, like in it. the
2: weird. Not, not the 10-man yeah. from the Wizard of Oz. I'm talking about the 10-man from the Wiz. You know, the one that was like, oh, know. oh know. <laughs> that's know. You gotta you gotta You got to take that little oil can and, like, hit him off on the knee a couple of times.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, Nipsey Russell. You know, hit him with that little Nipsey Russell move. <laughs> Frank, you can't just roll Frank
2: out there and be like, come on, Frank, you get 100 yards. I don't think you can do that. Frank's a great back. But I think he's he's definitely past his prime. And, yep. you know, he's supposed to be the answer in the backfield and I just don't see that. I, I don't see him as being the answer. Um, I could be wrong. I've been wrong before, and I'll be wrong again. But Frank Gore, again, I, I just see Nipsey Russell in that 10 outfit, man. <laughs> in the wind. He's <laughs> on down the road when I look at Frank, man. I'm like, man, the knee's, man, the knees too creaky. Squeak, squeak. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and they got to figure out, you know, whether it's by committee. You're right, and you know, it's you know, Frank thought he's gonna ride this young guy to a championship. You know what I'm saying? And uh, you know, he, he yeah, you know, they got to find balance. And their defense is going, you know, their defense played decent, but you know, three turnovers. You know, Luck is still making bad throws every once in a while. So. You know they're gonna clean it up.
2: They'll be there in the and end. Not for, if not for Jay Cutler, if not for Jay Cutler, Andrew Luck would have led the NFL in turnovers last year from the quarterback position. So that's right. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Let's let's you know Luck is nice. Luck is nice, yes. no doubt. But he's still got some growing to do, and a lot of it starts with not giving up the ball, allowing his uh, punter to come in and punt the ball away instead of giving the ball. Yes. You know, I think a lot of their defensive woes come from that, man. I think they come from the yeah. fact that they get that, that defense gets put in a bad position very often by Andrew Luck's turnovers. Yes. Um, and, and nobody again, got is and hey, you gotta that do a better
0: job of it, right? They they've anointed him. And yeah. and I think he's coachable. I think if you said that to him he would correct it. You know what I'm saying? It's not he's not, not I think he's that the kind of guy that would let that go.
2: I agree. I agree. You're listening to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSG, Renegade Radio, Marcus the Game Changer, and D-Wheels holding you down. We've got about five minutes left in the show. We're going to hit you off with some music, uh, a little quick break, and then we're going to come back and close it out with the Resistance Digital Dog of the Week. The real sports guys with com, the people's radio, RSG, the renegades back in the house. Brought to you by Resistance Digital Solutions. We are about to get into the Resistance Digital Dog of the Week. Resistance Digital is the official digital provider for the real sports guys. Make sure you hit up our man LR at Resistance Digital com to get all your digital needs and electronic needs met. Uh, great service, low price. Hit him up. That's LR. Resistance Digital Solutions. All right, D. Wills, you know how we always do about this time. All right, this 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 season, this year, Dog of the Week has emerged, evolved a little bit. i going to give you three dogs. you got the top dog, which is your most dominant performer from the past week. you got your big dog, which is a notable performer, somebody who's, who who did a little work. You know, they put in work, but they weren't quite top dog status. And then you got the doghouse. Who's in the doghouse? who totally underperformed um, for the week. You know how it goes, D. wheels, Hit us off with your dogs a week. Go.
0: We need more dogs. All
2: right.
0: My top dog, we just talked to him. I mean, he's a rookie. I got to give it to him. When you throw four touchdowns and zero interceptions, uh, Marcus Mariota, you know, you got to give him props for being a top dog. His debut was dominant. You know, Tampa Bay helped him out a little bit, but, there are no, I mean, you can't. In the history, that's a dominant performance by a, a, a rookie quarterback in his first game. So I love that. Shout out to you, to you, Marcus. And then my big dog, I would have made his top dog because it wasn't a dominant performance, but it was a notable one. But it was a big win. And Roberto Vinci over Serena Williams. You can't, you got to know that it wasn't a dominant performance, you know, but it was a, a big win. And so. I got, it's a notable performer. you got to recognize that with Dog of the Week. And then in the doghouse, and I'm going to say this. According to Marshawn's mother, Daryl Bevel, because mm. he ain't calling plays the right way. You know, mm. uh, that fourth down play, I, I'm putting Seattle, Seattle offense, Seattle offensive coordinator. I don't know what they're doing on offense over there. And Marshawn's mother, she on Facebook talking about Daryl Bevel, our beloved Badger. But she went in hard on that one. Uh, and then the other one is Eli Manning. My goodness, into the game management. <laughs> and on the front page of the New York Post, they are dogging him. Well, you just got to just fall on the ground or hand the ball off. But how do you allow Tony Romo to get a shot at it and then beat you?
1: And the look on Eli's
0: face was like, man. But the killing he taking, that –
1: that end game
2: management—you are too good to let that go. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. I like that. Uh, I'm gonna hit hit you off of mine real quick. We got about 90 seconds before we close out the show. Uh, my top dog, Carlos Hyde for the San Francisco 49ers, balls, yes. balls on Monday Night Football. I mean,
1: did you see the run with the
2: spin? All right. Did yeah. you see the run where he broke, I mean, just hit the B button, R trigger on him? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just one of those moves you got to press a, like three buttons to make happen. You know, he pressed all three buttons. You know what I'm saying? So, shout out to him, 160 plus yards on the ground, two touchdowns, a hella bunch of fantasy points. I love it. I love it. My notable performer also comes from Monday Night Football. Under the big lights, these guys really shine. Uh, Julio Jones I, yeah. I, I hunted Julio this season I did not get him on any of my fantasy teams He was always a guy I targeted But I was never able to get him with my second pick I wasn't going to take him in the first round But I wanted to get him in the second round I was never able to I feel like he's going to have a big year Start off in a big way Great money. Nine catches, 141 yards And then In my doghouse Father time is undefeated Peyton Manning Bruh, you in the doghouse. Father time is undefeated. Peyton struggled, just looked out of sync. The old line isn't quite there. I think it's going to take him a while to mesh. Peyton's still Peyton. I think he's going to figure it out. But this week, dog, you in the doghouse. <laughs> and that'll do it. This edition of Real Sports Guys, go right, so to sportsguys.com. RT, Renegade, ready your boxes by resistance just Uh, this is a game changer with my man D Will signing off. Until next time, peace.